One of the joys of reading the scriptures is the blessing of us as individuals identifying with various individuals and seeing the grace of God expressed toward them can also be expressed toward us as well. For example, you have the courage of Elijah on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18, but then you contrast that with his fearful retreat in 1 Kings 19. You see the selfish fleeing of Jonah in Jonah's chapters 1 and 2, resulting in the proclaiming of and the learning from God's message in Jonah chapter 3 and 4. You see, the, the, pro, the, the proclaiming of Peter, of his commitment to Jesus Christ, right in front of the disciples in Luke twenty two thirty three, turning into a self-preserving denial in Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through to 62. So basically, in one way or another, you and I can see the similarities between the people of Scripture, and it's comparable to the way that we conduct ourselves as well the choices that we make, both good and bad. And regardless of the similarities that we may share in our living, the main constant factor is always this, like it was for Jonah, like it was for Elijah, like it was for Peter. The the constant is this, the faithfulness, the mercy, the grace, the love, and the acceptance of God through Jesus Christ, in all of our lives. That's the blessing we are never to lose sight of, that he is faithful who promised. That as he comforted Elijah in the whisper, so too does he speak to our spirits when we're feeling isolated or alone. As he disciplined and taught Jonah when he ran away, so too does he discipline us because he disciplines those that he loves as well as teach us that without him we can do nothing. And while we fail to live up to the big talk and proclamations that we can do, how say how committed we are to Jesus, like Peter, when we fail, we experience that same grace, that same forgiveness, and that same acceptance because he is forgiving, gracious, and accepting of us. So this morning, We're going to continue looking at this series. It became a series by accident, just of God's grace upon her. I was talking with someone on Friday, and he said, are you just looking at females in the Bible? And I said, well, these are the lessons that I'm learning from how God has been working in these women's lives. So we've looked at the lesson that God taught us through Leah, the the lesson that God taught us last week through Jochebed, and today we're going to look at another God's grace upon her, this time looking at a New Testament woman named Martha. So if you want to bow your heads, we'll open with a word of prayer and let's look at the scriptures together. Father, we come before you now and as your people, we ask for you to speak to us through your word, to open our eyes by your spirit, to soften our hearts to your moving in each of our lives. We need you. We need you to teach us. We need you to change us. We need you to convict us of our, where we're at in our lives with you. And if we are fearing, feeling content or complacent, that you'll awaken us, as Pastor Ben said, awaken us from our spiritual apathy, awaken us from our comfortable, comfortable mindset and be caught up with the sheer greatness of who you are and live according to that. Um, before we look into your word, Lord, I want to pray for your nation, Israel. 
just the amazing things that are going on there, I pray that you will lay your hand upon your covenanted people, that you will protect them, that you will bring peace, or more importantly, Lord, that we will see your hand at work and where this falls in line with your plan, with what you are doing, especially in relation to your return. So, Lord Jesus, we commit Israel into your hands as well. May you have your way, may you have your will done in that nation as well, and may we as your people be praying for them also. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, often Martha gets a bit of a bad rap, in all honesty, especially when we read this account in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. For a bit of context, the Lord Jesus goes to their home, and Martha, being a good hostess, gets busy hosting. She's hosting for the guests, she's hosting for the Lord, and with all of this hosting that's going on, she complains to Jesus that her sister Mary isn't helping. And the response Jesus gives to her is a word that resonates with us as well. It resonates us about priorities. He says this in verses 41 and 42. He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. What did Mary do? Mary sat in the presence of the Lord, listening to what he had to say. Now, Martha portrays or reflects quite accurately, I think, our frustrated hearts when we think that we're the only ones doing anything. When we think we're the only ones active. When we think that we're the only ones actually doing anything, not only for the gospel, but anything in general, and we look around at others and wonder, why aren't they doing it too? It's when we think we're going it alone when we think we're madly running around trying to get things done, not for any other reason but for the sake of getting them done, instead of enjoying and appreciating the blessing that may be right in front of us. And you'll notice that in this instance, how Jesus addresses the situation. This is the lesson. How he addresses Martha, how he addresses the context of what's going on, that is the lesson. We're not actually told what Jesus teaches because the lesson for us to learn from is how Jesus conducts himself. And what are these lessons we can learn? I've got three lessons we can learn from this. Lesson number one, don't be distracted from going to Jesus. Don't be distracted. In Luke chapter 10, in the first half, in 40 verse, uh, verse 40, part A, it says this, how Martha was not pleased about Mary's choice to sit because she was sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to what he said. It says in verse 39. The verse says this, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She was distracted from enjoying Jesus' presence by sheer busyness. That's it. She was just too busy, which is not bad in and of itself. I mean, she was being a very good host, but it was what was drawing her away from Jesus. And that is our warning. What draws us away from Jesus? We are easily distracted in our Christian lives. We can be consumed with work distracting us from Jesus. We can be consumed with kids distracting us from Jesus. We can be consumed with ministry 
or with activity, or even just with leisure, distracting us from Jesus. And we can be consumed, like Martha, with serving, which can distract us from Jesus. Now, please do not misunderstand me. I'm not calling your work, I'm definitely not calling your children, or serving, or ministry, I'm not calling them distractions, okay? Please don't, if your child comes to you, mom, don't distract me, I'm reasonable. I'm not doing that. Please keep that in context, okay? I'm just saying that they can easily become the go-to measurement for how intimate or for how close or even for how spiritual we are with our spiritual growth. We can use these as indicators to say, I'm so good because I'm doing this or I'm doing this, being completely distracted from being with Christ, In other words, forgetting my connection with Jesus and substituting it with performance for Jesus. That's what we need to be wary of. If you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, these are the weights that are referred to. It talks about the weights and the sin that so easily entangles us. In the old King James, it says that so easily besets us. Weights are not a bad thing. But they can be things which can slow us down, that can hinder us, that can stop us from enjoying the relationship that Jesus desires to have with us. That's what these weights can be. And these are the things we are told to lay aside because in verse 2 of that same chapter, in chapter 12 of Hebrews chapter 12, it says, what do we do after that? Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. They are not necessarily bad things, but they can hinder us nonetheless. So this is your first lesson. Don't be distracted. Now, from a doer's perspective, like I know a lot of doers in my life. My wife, she's a great doer. She does, she, 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 just, she, she serves so well. Those of you who know my wife, she's just a, a wonderful servant. And she loves doing stuff for people. She loves giving stuff to people. And so when we look at Martha, we think Martha's complaint makes perfect sense. I understand that. For Martha to say what she does, it makes complete sense. But she does what she does next, this is the second lesson, what she does next is a privilege that all of us as God's children, those who have placed our trust in Christ, all of us have the privilege to do. This is the second lesson that Martha portrays. Go to Jesus. We all have that privilege to be able to go to Jesus. She goes to him in the second part of verse 40. She doesn't hold it in. She doesn't, to continue doing her work begrudgingly or or, or mumbling or grumbling against what she's not doing. She doesn't push it down and and let it grow into bitterness because that's what happens when you hold on to things. It actually says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You know this, and I know this, that when there's something that we don't like, and we don't talk about it or make it known, we grumble, we hold on to it, and what happens? It grows. It gets worse. And then when something happens, boom, you blow up. I know we've done this as parents. I know we've done this as siblings. I know we've done this as, at work. That's something we need to be very aware of. So what does Martha do? She goes to Jesus. And if you have a look at this, the first part of the verse, it says, she came to him and asked. She goes to the Lord. She doesn't attack Mary. 
She's not complaining to the guests because they were not there, it's not their home. But she was led by her own sense of fairness, her own sense of justice, and justified by that justice, she says this to the Lord. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You can see the frustration in her heart. I've heard this attitude attitude at home with my kids. I have had this attitude myself toward others. I've experienced the same frustration even from people in church. As a matter of fact, if you look at this frustration, it can also be, I guess you could say, akin to a prayer that we sometimes pray, especially when things don't go our way or they don't fail to meet the expectation that I set. And we pray in the same mentality, the same idea, the same I guess you could say these same steps. What are these steps? Here's the first one. The reasoning. She says, Lord, don't you care? Completely ignoring the words of Jesus who commanded us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, not to worry about our physical needs. That the way he cares for his creation is the same way that he cares for his children too. The fact that he cares about two sparrows that fall to the ground and that we mean so much more than the sparrows, according to Matthew 10, verses 29 to 31, and that we're worth so much more than these sparrows. She completely ignores the Holy Spirit said via Peter that we are to cast all our care or all our anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. So for her to say, Lord, don't you care? is completely contradictory to the heart of God towards her. But that's what we do, don't we? When things don't go our way, that's our first question to the Lord. Don't you care about me, Lord? Don't you care? I don't understand why I didn't get this promotion. Don't you care? I don't understand why my my wife got sick. Don't you care? I don't understand why what happened to my children happened to them. Don't you care? We get so caught up with the moment We completely ignore everything that the Lord has done to show how much he cares for each of us. And to think about this, that he sent his son, the ultimate expression of his care and his love toward us, that he sent his son, born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, to take upon himself your sin and my sin, that he bore it for us, and that he was buried and rose again for us. And we say, don't you care? And to think that his care goes even further than that, further than the, the gift of a son, the sacrifice of a son for our salvation from sin, he then what? Gives us his spirit. That when we place our trust in him, he gives us his spirit. We are born again into his kingdom. He gives us his word. He gives us each other. And we have the goal to say, don't you care? His care is expressed from the rising of the sun until the going down of the same. His love is expressed, his care is expressed in so many ways that each morning when you wake up and you take a breath, that is the care and the love of God demonstrated to you. But we are blinded by our circumstance because we allow the circumstance to take our eyes off Jesus. Because this is Martha's reasoning. Don't you care? And then it's followed by her argument. This is why my sister has left me to do the work by myself. This accurately reflects 
the truth of Jeremiah 17.9, how our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. The comparing of what we're doing to what others are not doing. An act that Paul speaks against in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, the second half of that verse, it says that if we are to compare ourselves with ourselves, that is unwise. It is unwise. We are not to be comparing ourselves to each other, but to the person of Christ. <clears throat> when you look at the language that she uses in this reasoning, you'll notice that Martha's reasoning revolves around who? It revolves around her. My sister has left me to do the work by myself. It's all about my solo effort, about my solo sacrifice, about my solo work. And this is the, the focus of your whole argument. It's about me. What is it doing for me? Look what it's doing to me. And then she says this, her expectation at the end of it. Tell her to help me. You've heard my argument. You've seen my reasoning. Now can you do something about it? Martha takes her grievance to the Lord and her expectation is that the Lord will do what's fair to her, what's beneficial for her in her serving. But Proverbs 21 verse 30 in the CSB says this, no wisdom, no understanding, and no counsel will prevail against the Lord. Her reasoning, her argument from her perspective falls short of what God's idea of fairness is. Because when you look at what he does to answer this question, Martha demonstrates this third lesson that I think you and I would do well to take heed to. And this is what Jesus does in the answer. He says this in the third point. Jesus reveals who? Himself. He changes her priorities by pointing her to himself. He doesn't sit there and go, no, look, yeah, okay, I'll go tell your sister and she can get alongside and help you out. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, Martha, suck it up. Do your work like you're supposed to. He doesn't do that either. What does he do? He reveals himself. He redirects his, her vision from herself. So, you know, help, you know, help me so I could do my work, I'm doing it by myself, takes it off her and directs it to him. We read in verses 41 and 42, which I read before, I'll read it again. He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Few things are needed. We live in a life, in a world, in a society that is full of excess. We spoke about this when we looked at Leah where we look at the bigger house, where we look at the more money in our job, when we look at that more pleasure that we have in various things. We have, we have, and I remember hearing one preacher say this, where we have everything on our phone. We have entertainment at our fingertips continually. We can watch whatever show we want. We can watch whatever movie we want, all at the push of a screen in our hand. And yet, people are more discontent. People are more bored. People are more frustrated in life today. And that's the reality. With so much more distractions in the world today, people seem to be less happy. And so what Jesus does here is he says, take your eyes off yourself, Martha, and place them on me. You don't need lots of things. He said few things. And then he's after a few things, he's what? Indeed, only one. 
You need only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What do you see when you read these words? What do you hear when you listen to what Jesus says here? What was it that Mary chose that Jesus classed as being the one thing needed, the only thing needed? What does he refer to? He refers to Mary being with Jesus, being with him, being near him. There wasn't anything wrong with what Martha was doing in her chores. She was being a great hostess. But what she was doing had reprioritized her vision, her view, her tasks away from Jesus and doing things. As opposed to doing things in connection with Jesus. She had to reprioritize her mindset in connection to him. Why was Jesus in her home? Well, he was ministering to them for their spiritual benefit. And with what Jesus was trying to accomplish was for them to see the Father. But the only way those things could be experienced by Martha was that if she was with him. This same principle applies to you and me as well. In the busyness of life, in the, in the busyness of parenting, in the busyness of schooling and of our careers, these all need to be viewed through the lens of Jesus Christ and our connection with Him. He is a God that has come to save souls, not things, not careers, not houses not activities. He came in the world to save souls. He is concerned with your heart and my heart. He is concerned with the neighbor down the road who doesn't know Jesus. He's concerned with your work colleagues who don't know who Jesus is, and you might be the only person that represents him to them. He's concerned with souls. And so we need to reprioritize things and as opposed to looking at the few things, look at the one who is Jesus Christ and cherishing his relationship, cherishing intimacy with him. That's what he has called us. Martha is basically told, you and I are basically told to stop, reassess, and be with Jesus. That's what we are told to be with him who is the way, the truth, and the life, to recognize him who came from the Father full of grace and truth, the great I am that was before Abraham, who is the light of the world, the resurrection and the life, and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who we're to be consumed with. That's where we're to have our focus. That's where we're to have our attention on him. This is Jesus revealing himself to Martha and to us as being the one we go to in our times of frustration, as the one to go to in our times of difficulty, to go to him in our times of failure, in our times of disappointment, or even in our times of triumph and of victory. For in going to him and seeing him and submitting to him, we find ourselves viewing what we're doing in the greater context of eternity, not just in the here and now. 
I went to Bunnings the other day, and I, I, I bumped into a guy, a young fellow by the name of Zach Harris. Zach, if you're watching, hey, man. So Zach, he graduated, I believe, two years ago from the school that I work at. And I was bumping into him. I said, bro, how you going? He was wearing a mask. I wasn't wearing a mask. I was breaking the law. I apologize. Uh, but he says to me, he says to me, Joe, where's your mask? I, actually, I said, Zach, I know it was you, bro. Even with a mask, I can recognize you. And he goes, where's your mask, Joe? I said, I forgot it. I left it at church. I walked over and I left it in the car. And he goes, you know why no one's told anything, told you anything? I says, why is that? Look at you. No one's going to tell you to put a mask on. And I was like, bro, bro. And he goes, but I know you, Joe. Get your mask. I went, okay, that, I thought that was funny. But I was talking about, and he's studying law and stuff like that, and he's, he's a very intelligent young man. He, but he goes to me, man, I was, I was stressing out. I was stressing out just with exams and everything that's going on. I'm enjoying my study, but I was stressing out. But then, it doesn't really matter in the long run, does it, Joe? That's what God told me. And he's a young Christian man. He goes, it doesn't really matter in the long run. I says, well, what do you mean, bro? He goes, well, because I know where I'm going. I says, what do you mean? I'm going to heaven. I need to look at my life in the context of, well, eternity. Because ultimately, my law degree, what's it going to count for God? Well, nothing. All this effort I'm putting in, and what's it really going to get? What's, what's the point of me stressing out over all of this when ultimately, when I come before God, He's going to be concerned with how I lived for Him rather than how many qualifications I had? And I says to him, Hey, bro, you'll be surprised on how many Christians haven't grasped that truth. You'll be surprised on how many people who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ who don't view life in that way. And he goes, well, I only just learned that last week. So, And I went, bro, did you learn it, man? You probably forget it again, but I'll remind you. But I, I thought that was really cool. I thought that was really cool. He basically had, by the grace of God, his priorities reassessed. His vision and his focus redirected. Not to the degree, although he did say he will use his degree to glorify God and he'll still do the best he can to honor God in his studies, but he knows that that's not what God is concerned about. What God is concerned about is his heart and how close he is to him. That's the priority that he now sees. But he's only a young fella, and I guarantee, like once he gets, no offense, once he gets into a relationship, once he gets married, then all these other, Jimmy's like, sorry, Jim's. But once you get into a relationship, things, things do. But that, once again, when you get into your relationship, when you start being a parent, when you have your job, when you run your business, all that sort of stuff, once again, those things all need to be viewed through what? Through the lens of Jesus Christ. That's how you prioritize it. That's how you balance things in your life. The reason why in Proverbs it says that a, a, a false scale or, 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 or crooked weights are an abomination to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord despises imbalance. And we're, pe we're people that, we're imbalanced all the time, aren't we? And the only way balance is brought about is by the Spirit of God through the Word of God in each of our lives. That's how balance is found. <clears throat> John Piper sums up the danger of not seeing the greatness of Jesus because you're tied up in your own frustration, you're tied up in your own discouragements. And this is what he says. If you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting. If you can't see the sun, you will be impressed by a streetlight. If you have never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. That sums it up, doesn't it? 
that sums it up when we get our eyes off Jesus and onto ourselves, which is why Martha had to have her vision, her priorities, her heart realigned with Jesus, which is why we need to have our vision, our priorities, and our hearts realigned with Jesus too. But how do we do this? How do we not get distracted in order to go to Jesus that he might reveal himself? How? Well, we we follow Martha's example. We do go to him. We follow what the word of God says. He says, this is what the Lord Jesus says. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says that. And in responding to this invitation, I can cast all my care upon him because he cares for me, 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In Matthew 4, 19, for I am, or we are, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that I should walk in them. Ephesians 2, 10. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. In John 14, 27, for his peace transcends all understanding and it will do what? It will guard my heart and my mind in Christ, in Philippians 4, 7. See, we need to be looking like Mary and like what Martha does here, we need to be looking at what he says. And as he says, and as he speaks, and as he moves into our hearts, the changes that will come about will be natural. What will be even crazier is that we will want to see such change take place. You see, this is where it starts for us too, of us going to Jesus, of us yielding to him, of us surrendering surrendering to his spirit, submitting to his word, and responding to him in obedience. If we, if we could only see what Martha saw and learn the way Martha learned, for we see her, born of great need, do all these things again, but this time in the right heart and in the right spirit. I'm going to look at very close, very quickly in closing, okay? If you turn to John chapter 11, turn to John chapter 11, and what we read about in John chapter 11 is Jesus hearing the news of Lazarus's illness, and he waits a few more days and then goes to see him in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 11. Jesus um, isn't the most welcome person in Bethany, which is where they live, which is where Lazarus is, but he stresses to his disciples of the necessity of him going there in verses 8 through to 16. In verses 17 to 19, we read about how Jesus arrives four days later, and he's been buried. And in the old King James, I've always liked this, when uh, one of the sisters says to Jesus, surely he stinketh. Such a cool line. I've always liked this. Sorry. Anyway, beside the point, Okay. But this is what I like. When Jesus shows up, we have in verse 20 this. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, and Mary stayed home. You'll notice how Mary's still sitting. She was sitting in in Luke. Now she's still sitting again. Martha's still moving, but this time she runs to Jesus. This time there's no complaint born of frustration. There's no question or demand born of a sense of fairness. This time there's a statement that's born from helplessness and acceptance of whatever God chooses to do. 
and she sees in the end the greatness of Jesus Christ. This is her growth. Reading from verses 21 through to 27, we read this. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. This is her helplessness. This is her dependence. This is her reliance on who? Herself? No, on Jesus Christ. She goes to him, verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. What's this here? This is her acceptance of the situation. She's accepting of whatever God has done. She said, okay, I'm okay with it. She comes in helplessness, but she's willing to accept whatever God's will is. See her growth. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. You see what she sees now? She sees the greatness of Jesus Christ. In this time born of helplessness, she's accepting of whatever God's will is and sees the greatness of Jesus Christ. This is her growth. She does the exact same things, but this time her growth and being dependent upon the person of Jesus Christ. This is where we need to get our eyes off ourselves and off our situations and off other people and what they're not doing. It's about us looking at Jesus in in, in the same helpless manner in accepting of whatever God's will is and merely be in awe of his greatness. The lesson of Martha is this. Don't be distracted with the trivial things that get our eyes off him or even draw us away from him. Rather, be focused on him who loved you, died for you, rose again from the dead for you, ascended to the right hand of God to intercede for you, who's coming back again for you, who listens to you and working with you. That's where our eyes are to be. I have seen people within this church with laser focus, myself included, laser focus. Usually my laser focus is when I'm watching a rugby game or watching a basketball game or playing sport. If I merely took an an ounce of what that laser focus is and directed it at the person of Jesus Christ, I guarantee you my life would change dramatically. I guarantee you that. That's where we're to be focused So that when we look, when he reveals himself, we will see no one else but him and him alone. That is the lesson of Martha. That we will not be distracted. That we will go to him so that he in turn will reveal himself in all his glory to us. So with that, I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And I would like to invite them. While I pray, could the music team come back up and we'll sing our, our last song and then I'll close after that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the example of Martha and for the grace you demonstrated to her that even in her frustration, even in her sense of unfairness, you revealed her, yourself to her. 
Thank you so much that you look beyond and see the greater work in each of our lives. And I ask that you will give us a clarity of vision, a softness of heart, a willingness of spirit to go to you, to listen to you, and to witness you in all your greatness. So I pray you will take this word today and use it in each of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,